Hello my loves and welcome back to another episode of So I Got My BFA. My name is Kelsey and if you're new here, this is a fun little podcast where we chat and deep dive into musicals, I babble about my current obsessions, we play some games, and I leave you with just a little bit of advice, all of which I feel quote-unquote qualified to talk about because I recently graduated with my BFA in musical theater. You guys know the drill. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, if you could please leave me a rating and a review, and if you're on Spotify, go ahead and give me a download. That really helps me out. Thank you guys so much for listening, and with that, let's get into the episode. I'm just talking babbling. This is what you came here for, isn't it? Hey guys, what is up? Welcome back to another week. Um, Last week it was super dreary and rainy and cold in New York City, but today it is sunny and 65 and it feels so nice outside. It is prime, like go on a walk, weather. I don't know why I always talk about the weather at the beginning of this podcast. I think it's because I simply don't know how to get into the episode like fully because I do the intro and then I'm like and now for the second intro and then I end up talking about the weather but just like you guys are always gonna know what's up with the weather in New York City on the Wednesday mornings that I uh, record these. So today it's sunny and 65 with a chance of um, happiness and birds chirping and (laughs) maybe um weather girl should not be my my survival job after this but I think this warm weather that we are seeing in New York City is the first sign of the light at the end of the tunnel for this pandemic um I feel like we have been seeing things starting to reopen people are getting vaccinated I believe they just opened vaccinations to be available to anyone above the age of 16 in New York just the other day so progress and hopefully by the end of May everyone will be eligible and I just like I've been seeing a lot of lights at the end of the tunnels and that's the first thing I wanted to talk about today was there are so many performances happening live via film that were alive it's all happening but I'm just so excited because I feel like I haven't seen any form of live performance in such a long time. So I'm gonna talk about that. First and foremost, we are gonna talk about Broadway's first performance back in over a year. I mentioned before they're doing these tiny little pop-up performances on Broadway stages, and I believe the first one was supposed to happen at the Music Box, but it actually happened at the St. James, and it was just a small performance, and they invited frontline workers who have really been working hard during this pandemic and putting their lives on the lines and going in and out of these hospitals every day. And I feel like this was like a sign of gratitude and appreciation for all of the hard work they've done during this pandemic. And it was a little pop-up at the St. James Theater. And it was, I believe it was Nathan Lane and Savion Savian. I don't know how to pronounce it. I should have looked it up, but that's okay. Savian Glover, I believe. And uh, it was just a small little performance, but it was... It was technically Broadway's first live performance in over a year. And just being able to see that, like I knew these pop-up little performances were going to be happening, but the fact that it did and the fact that it is out there and we are getting closer and closer to a reopening of Broadway fully. And I believe I read an article the other day that said something about fully vaccinated productions. I don't exactly remember quite what it said, but I do believe that it said something about productions that are fully vaccinated 
these are the like new protocols for the Broadway reopening or the beginnings of Broadway reopening. So I'm just so excited to see that we are progressing because it feels like we were very stunted for such a long time and we were so left in the dark and we didn't know anything about the reopening of Broadway or when it was going to happen or I mean we've gotten dates but they've been pushed back and back and back and so just to see like these tiny little steps in progressing to seeing a full Broadway performance production open back to audiences whether they be small audiences or you know of course like socially distanced and safe audiences at the same time and just how they're to see how they're going to maneuver all of these complications and protocols But at the end of the day, live performances are coming back and I can't wait until they just get bigger and bigger and bigger and we're able to do these things safely and be back in the theater, whether it be performing, which um, I would very much love to do. I miss performing with all of my heart. I have not been in a performance since we closed Urinetown over a year ago. Or whether it just be going to a theater, sitting in the chairs and witnessing a performance it doesn't matter to me any any type of theater I just like I'm craving right now and I think it's just been such a long time since we've had any form of that that I'm just so excited to see things progressing now that I've babbled on about that for a long time I want to talk about some other performances that I will be watching on my computer but in a sense they were live or actually one of them is going to be a live stream. So my first one is my best friend in the entire world. Her name is Auburn. She goes to UCO for musical theater and she is playing Sherry in their production of Rock of Ages this weekend. They are offering very minimal audience allowances and they're wearing face masks during the production. So they're doing it with protocols and safe measures and everything like that. But because they aren't able to open it up to a general population and like a large audiences, they have decided to live stream one of the productions. And so even though she's in Oklahoma, I'm going to be able to see her production all the way here in New York City. I bought tickets to my live stream. I'm so excited. I'm so proud of her. She is like a little sister to me and I've watched her grow up in musical theater and I've tried to be as much of a mentor as possible and I'm just so, so excited Um, to see her blossom in this production. She's going to be so amazing. I've definitely never seen her play a sassy role like Sherry in Rock of Ages before. So Auburn, if you're listening, which you probably aren't because you're very, very stressed out with show week and everything, but hello, I will text you. It'll be fine. Break the legs. You're going to do great. And I can't wait to see you on Friday. I'm so proud of you. And another live or semi-live or form of live performance that I'm going to be able to see this weekend is my old colleges, that's not how you say it, my alma mater, I don't know, that sounds weird to say, the college in which I just graduated from, Cap 21, uh, their production, or not production, they do projects for every class and the song and dance project is coming up and that's a project where basically it is what you you hear it's a song and dance project where they sing, dance, act all at the same time. And that is going to be live streamed or it's going to be, I think they are, I I think they pre-filmed it. So it'll be like more of a production that we'll get to watch. Um, I'm going to be seeing that on Sunday. So I'm just very excited for all the theater that's happening this week. And I feel like I, it's been, it's been away for so long that I'm just going to be seeing it all at once. And it's just going to make my heart so happy. And I can't wait to see all the hard work that they've done on that. And Song and Dance Project was one of my absolute favorite projects when I was in college. 
and I know that it was so special to me and I know it's probably so special to them and even in this way that they've done it where they've had to kind of revamp and rewarp the ways in which they go about putting on the project, I can't wait to see all the hard work that's gone into it because I know that it, it could not have been easy. It was not easy doing it in person and live and I definitely know that it probably wasn't easy trying to do it on Zoom and rehearsing over the computer and not being able to be in person for that. So I'm so excited to see what they've done and uh, I can't wait to see all of the underclassmen. I have not seen them perform in so long. And, you know, I just graduated, but for the time being, as, as long as there's people that I still went to college there with in the classes below, it, it's going to feel like I'm still connected to the school for, I would say, maybe two or three more years. And um, I just can't wait to see them. They're all so talented. And uh, this is one of the most exciting projects, so I can't wait to see it. So that's all of the performances that are happening this week. And with that, let's go ahead and talk about my weekly obsessions. Uh, my weekly obsessions this week are all three going to be television shows that I am currently watching, have watched in the past, re-watching, or one, and there's one that I want to review, and I talked about it last week, so we'll talk about that one last. But the first one is we got to talk about the Grey's Anatomy episode with, I'm about to give a huge spoiler, but it's been a week since the episode aired, and also, um, if you haven't seen the spoilers online already, just go ahead and skip through a few seconds, because I'm about to drop a big one. But... Lexi and Mark show up on Meredith's Dream Beach and it is just the most wonderful thing that they could have done since they brought Derek back. Honestly, I am enjoying this season of Grey's Anatomy so much more than I have. I feel like I've talked about this in the past and I've talked about it with Genevieve. Genevieve is a, my roommate, for those of you who don't know. She is a die-hard Grey's Anatomy fan. Like She will watch it consistently. She loves every single season. And she will just rewatch it over and over and over again when she's upset or when she like wants to feel better. She turns on an episode of Grey's Anatomy. That's not my Grey's Anatomy journey. I started watching Grey's Anatomy in high school. I got really, really into it. And then once I caught up, I caught up with about season 12 and then I started watching it live. And honestly, it's just gone like downhill and downhill. And I'm unfortunately one of those people who once I start watching something, I have to continue to watch it until it's over, which is really upsetting for me. And it's why I shouldn't get invested in shows that are more than like seven seasons long because it's just a lot. But anyway... So my journey with Grey's Anatomy is that it's kind of fallen off the rails for me. I watch it out of like inconvenience to myself, I guess. But I just want to keep up with like what's happening. But this season, because what they've done, and I think it's because it's nearing the end. It's either, I feel like what's going to happen is season 17 is going to end and they're going to come back with a season 18 and it's going to be like a stunted season where it's only gonna be probably maybe 10 episodes. This is all just me guessing, because I just don't feel like they're gonna put on a full season 18 after this. But because it's nearing the end, they are bringing back all of these old characters who have left the show or who were killed off the show. And the way they're, in which they're doing it is that Meredith right now has COVID and she is on this dream beach trying to kind of decide whether to stay on the dream beach, which means she will die or you know, go back to the life of the living. And all of her former friends, Derek, lovers, 
that have passed away are on this beach and they're talking to her and they're chatting to her and they're not telling her to not choose the dream beach, but they're not telling her to not choose life either. Anyway, that was the mini like <laughs> recap of season 17. And so we've seen Derek, we've seen George, we've seen, uh, those are really the two main characters that we've seen on the dream beach, but like Bailey and Richard have visited as living people. And then DeLuca, of course, makes an appearance. I won't, I mean, I've already spoiled it, but uh, DeLuca does die in this season and he makes an appearance. And now we are seeing Mark and Lexi. I feel like this is the one that everyone has been waiting for or since they revealed that Derek was on the Dream Beach. Derek was, would definitely have been the one that everyone wanted. But since they were like, oh, we're bringing back people who have died, we have been waiting for Mark and Lexi. And they teased that Lexi would be coming back, but they did not tease that Mark would be coming back. And just seeing the two of them together was just, it just, it brought back all of the like reasons that I loved Grey's Anatomy. I loved it for those character storylines. And honestly, after the plane crash, after Mark and Lexi died, it almost felt like that's when Grey's Anatomy started to like tumble out of control. And it was like less focused on the inner stories of those characters and more just like a broad like medical drama. I don't know. But that's my, I just babbled on a lot, but that's my, one of my weekly obsessions for this week. Um, so happy to see them both. I heard that they actually didn't even get Kyler Lee to be able to come onto the beach. They filmed all of her stuff via green screen because she was in Canada and because of COVID, it was like she was unable to get to the set to film. And so that was really cool that they were able to, it's just cool the way that people are able to put things together and make them look a certain way. But anyway, that's my first television weekly obsession of the week. My second one, and I've talked about this show before. I don't know if I've gone into depth about it or if I've just said like, this is one of my favorite TV shows, but, and no, it's not Gilmore Girls, okay? But that doesn't mean that it's not another Lauren Graham show, I'm just saying. Anyway, so a show that I've rewatched recently is Parenthood. I found it over the pandemic and it has become probably my favorite show that I've ever watched. And it's just because it's so simple. Like the plot line is, is simply just, this is how this particular family lives its life. There are complications, there's drama, there, you know, it, it's the, it's the whole like how you raise your kids and how that affects your marriages or what happens when you're a single mother and you or you had kids with this drug addict or what the perfect what seems like the perfect family like what goes on what actually is the inners and like goes on under the surface and it's all just encapsulated with this amazing cast this amazing storyline and it just it's a feel-good show it's a show that you kind of watch it is similar to Gilmore Girls in the sense that like it's a show that for me at least, that I want to watch when I just need something to like f make me feel good. It's just a sit down, feel good show. It, there is a lot of drama that happens in it. Um, it is a, it's a family drama, but there's also a lot of heart and love and it, it makes you feel like no matter what they go through at the end of the day, family is 
the key to everything and whether your family is blood or whether your family is like made up of your circle of friends you have to find your family and no matter what the complications are at the end of the day it's all about love and it's all about being there for each other and that's just stuff that makes me feel really good when I watch it and the cast is literally stellar so it's Peter Krause, Derek Shepard, Derek Shepard. Oh my gosh, I'm on Grey's Anatomy talk now. Sorry. Dax Shepard, which I don't know. I'm so sorry for miss saying your name, Dax, because you're one of my favorite actors out there. Um, Lauren Graham and Erica Christensen, I believe is her last name. Um, she's one of the only actors that I'm not too familiar with, but they're all great. It's made up of those four. And then some of the kids are Mae Whitman, Miles, I don't know his last name. Those are like the two older kids and then Bonnie Belinda is plays the like mother of all of the children and then Craig T. Nelson is the father and he is so good this role was like made for him and that's what I like about I, I like about this cast too because I feel like each role for each of the characters was like you see so much of the the actor in the roles as well I've watched lots of interviews because that's what I like to do with my free time. But they said a lot of it is like improvisation and there's a base script, but they're able to like, to make it seem more like a family element, they're able to improvise and, or they were, the show ended a long time ago and I just recently found it. But you see a lot of the actor themselves and their personalities come through the characters. And so that's why I think that it, it works so well because it is very true to like the people who are playing the roles. And it's just a, it's just such a feel-good show. I highly recommend it. It's on Hulu. It's just a show that makes, it's a, it's a show with a lot of heart and it just makes you feel good while watching it. And then my final show is actually a review. It's, it's gonna be a small review, but I was able to finally sit down and watch The Mighty Ducks Game Changers, which is a sequel-ish, I guess, like a, Let's stick with sequel to the Mighty Ducks movies. And it's on Disney Plus. It's a Disney based show. I wouldn't, I don't know. It's so weird because I would say that it's definitely targeted towards the, the kids of the 90s who were into the Mighty Ducks movies. But it's also like it's got elements that would like kids nowadays would like to see it. But also, I'm not so sure there's some. I mean, it's not horrible, but it's, like, language that they use that, like, I'm like, why is that teenager, like, cursing right now? Like, I don't, I don't understand. For, like, a Disney show, you know? Like, I would understand it if it was on a different network, but for, like, a Disney show, I was like, wait, why did he just say that word, hmm, to his mother? Hmm, that's interesting. But anyway, so Lauren Graham is playing the mother, and then Emilio Esteban is playing Gordon Bombay. He's reviving his role, and it's about this kid who isn't good enough to make the Mighty Ducks. And so they start their own team. It's all right. That's my review on it. it it's, an, it's an okay show. I don't know if I um, would watch it if Lauren Graham weren't in it. I just like to watch all of her stuff because I think she's a really great actress and I like to, when I find like an actress that I really like and I, I like to study their acting in like all forms of, um, all of their characters, which is a really weird quirk about me, but whatever. I'm an actor. It's a part of my craft. It's not at all. It's just a weird thing that I do. But if she weren't in it, I'm not so sure that I would continue to watch it just because it's not really my thing. I was never really into the Mighty Ducks movies as a child. And I don't know though. It's just like a weird, it's like your typical, like, 
underdog story of a bunch of like ragtag kids who've never skated in their lives before now trying to form a hockey team and their name is called the don't bothers that's their team name um it's a little weird I'll say it but it's because they the coach was like if you're not good at hockey like don't bother and so the mom was like we're gonna be called the don't bothers and I'm like that's a little weird but I mean it's very readable I can already tell you where the season's probably gonna go they're gonna start and they're gonna the team is gonna get beat by every single team and then they're going to form together and they're going to get better throughout the season. And then when they play teams again, they're going to win and then they'll beat the Mighty Ducks at the end of it. I don't know. That's it's it's a typical it's like your typical like underdog Disney Channel story. And I would I, I don't know, I'd give it like maybe like a six out of ten. Like if you're into that type of stuff, like definitely watch it. The only weird thing is that like the kids are like sometimes cursing, but that's the only weird thing about it, especially for like a Disney Channel show. But um, it's your typical underdog show and uh, go ahead and give it a, I would say like give it a try. If, if you like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't have to keep watching it. But my overall re- review is that it is your standard typical Disney Channel show. I wouldn't exactly call it an obsession, but it fell under the category of weekly obsessions for this week, TV weekly obsessions. So that's all my weekly obsessions for this week. Um, I don't have a play to talk about this week because as I told you, I am reading a big play that I want to do like a full episode on and I just didn't have time to like really look into like other shows to talk about this week. And also I have a lot to say about the musical of the week this week. I'm very, very excited. I feel like this is one that I have wanted to do, but I was like, maybe I shouldn't. Cause like, I don't know. Uh, and maybe I'll do it like later on, but it's, it is later on. So the musical we will be talking about this week is drum roll Beetlejuice. That was a, such a lame drum roll. I didn't even do one and I don't have a soundboard. I'm telling you guys, I just like, I'm a mess, but it's fine. (laughs) We are talking about Beetlejuice the Musical. We are doing one of my least favorite things in the entire world, talking about scary musicals, except for the fact that Beetlejuice is probably the least scary, quote unquote, scary musical in the musical theater canon. Like this thing is not scary whatsoever. I am the biggest scaredy cat, as you guys have known if you've listened to previous episodes. I am afraid of everything. I don't watch horror films. I don't go to haunted houses. I don't do I don't do things that like will scare me. And when I did Sweeney Todd, I told you guys like that I was frightened of that. But Beetlejuice, literally not scary at all. I will say for clarification that I have not and I will not watch the movie because I have heard that that's scarier. Um, and it falls under the category of horror film, I guess, horror comedy. And I just don't have any interest to watch the movie, but that's okay because from the research I did, Beetlejuice the Musical is kind of completely different. Like there's similar plot structures, but like as far as original content, there's a lot of original ideas and original plotline in the musical. And I'm going to talk about kind of the differences once we get into it actually, but We're going to start with the Wikipedia synopsis. We are back on Wikipedia, and I've already kind of looked through this one. I'm going to say it's not great, but we'll talk about that after I read it. The story concerns a deceased couple who try to haunt the new inhabitants of their former home and call for help from a devious bio-exorcist ghost named Beetlejuice, who is summoned by saying his name three times. 
One of the new inhabitants is a young girl, Lydia, who is dealing with her mother's death and her neglectful father. Now, this is what I have to say about this synopsis. First of all, it doesn't give me any plot. It literally just tells me the characters' names. I mean, I wouldn't even say that the plot that it does give me is even correct because it's it's saying that Adam and Barbara, who are the, the people who have died in the house, um, are calling on Beetlejuice to get these people out of their house, which is correct in a sense, but really the story kind of revolves around Lydia and Beetlejuice's relationship more so than I would say Adam Barbara and Beetlejuice's relationship, which is what the movie is about from what I've read, um, but not so much the musical. And honestly, like, I feel like I know that in the previous weeks I've said that it gives, sometimes the synopsis is give away too much plot, but I think the, the thing about a great synopsis is that it tells you all of the details you need to know without really spoiling any of this stuff. So last week, I feel like it spoiled, the Music Man synopsis spoiled a little bit too much of the plot line, whereas this one, I didn't get enough of the plot line. So I'm gonna give this synopsis maybe like a two out of 10. All right, I feel like before I actually get into talking about the musical itself, I wanna share with you guys like what my thoughts on the musical were before I even saw the musical, when I heard they were first announcing that Beetlejuice was going to be a musical on Broadway, I was so skeptical. I, I, I was just like, seriously, like another one. And I think that this, cause Beetlejuice came after SpongeBob and it came after Mean Girls and it came after whatever that one season, I think it was Mean Girls, SpongeBob, the band's visit. And there was one other that I don't remember at the moment, but it, it just felt like seriously, again, another adaptation another one and Beetlejuice nonetheless this show that I mean I didn't really know anything about except for the fact that I knew that it was a kooky like comedy horror film and I just was like I can't get behind another musical adaptation that's just going to be corny and it's just here to bring in tourists and viewers and I was just craving original content at the time and so and because I didn't really know the film I had no interest in seeing the musical I really didn't and I just, I just could not get behind it for the longest time. And then Dead Mom came on on my Spotify shuffle one time and I listened to it and I knew all, I knew the hype about it. Everyone was like, no, it's actually good. It's, it's, it's actually really nice. And I was like, it's still Beetlejuice. Like, I don't know. I don't know about this. Dead Mom came on my Spotify and I heard it for the first time. And I was like, wait a minute. Why is this kind of a bop? I could get into this. And even then, it took me a long time to actually sit down and listen to the soundtrack. And it wasn't until the summer where, this past summer, the summer of 2020, when Beetlejuice had already closed on Broadway, when I decided that I wanted to listen to the soundtrack. So I went on a walk one day and I just listened to the soundtrack from start to finish. And when I tell you that I was never so shocked in my entire life of how good the soundtrack was, I was not expecting that. Even with a show like, let's say Mean Girls, it took me a while to get into the album and to understand the album, but with Beetlejuice, it literally, like the first listen, I was hooked. The score is so clever and it's it's mixed with a bunch of pop and, and rock 
and musical theater, like show tuny types of, there's like a, such a good mixture of those specific types of songs that it just keeps you, it keeps you on your toes. And the lyrics are so clever, especially Beetlejuice's songs. Um, one my, two of my favorite songs are the whole being dead thing, which is the, basically the opener of the show before, right after the prologue. And then Friday Their Lives, because I just think that the way that they write lyrics for the character Beetlejuice is so clever. It's It really feeds into his dark humor and his villainous um, ways of speaking. But it also, it kind of created him as a more like flamboyant character, I want to say. Like Beetlejuice is very into musical theater. He, he knows all about the Rogers, Hammerstein, and Hart drama. Like, that's when I heard that line, I was like, you're kidding. They brought this drama into this musical. He has a Dolly Levi matchmaker card in his pocket. Um, he makes a Brigadoon joke. Like, it's, it's just like, Beetlejuice is very into the musical theater. And we kind of see that in the way that his songs are written, but also with, like, such a dark humor about him as well. And then we have you know, Adam and Barbara songs, which are very like show tuny because they are the kooky, like, how does Beetlejuice describe them? Um, Middle-class suburban and white. That's the typical air about them. And so their songs like Ready, Set, Not Yet are very like show tuny inclined. And, and then of course we have Lydia songs, which are very like, I would say punk rock type of style. And so there's just a plethora of different styles all within this one musical. And then of course we have like the typical Deo song and then Hop in the Line. I don't really know what it's called. It's the Shake, Shake, Shake Sonora. That song, that's like a popular song of whatever era that's popular from. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm so bad. <laughs> anyway, but it just really, like the soundtrack itself really brought me in. And then as soon as I listened to the soundtrack and couldn't get it out of my mind, I was like, I have to find a bootleg of this. So I went on the YouTube and watched a slime tutorial um, about Beetlejuice. And I actually watched two different versions because one version had Alex Brightman and Lee Kritzer, but it didn't have Sophia Ann Caruso, but it had Presley Ryan. And then I watched another version which had um, the Beetlejuice and Delia understudy, and then it had Sophia. And just like watching the two different productions at once, it was like, it's so interesting how people play characters in such different ways. Like Presley's uh, Lydia compared to Sophia and Caruso's Lydia were so different. And then even like the Beetlejuices, like Alex Brightman versus, I don't even remember the guy who, who is the understudy's name versus his Beetlejuice word, they were just, it, it's just so interesting to watch two different people play these like big characters that, that have such exaggerated personalities. Like I wanna say that they took the characters from the movie and made the characters very, very exaggerated. So Lydia is very, very angsty and goth and obsessed with death. And then we have Beetlejuice who is very eccentric and very out there and just says sarcastic and says what he wants. and. I just feel like, I again, I haven't seen the movie, but I feel like it's musical theater sometimes takes those characters and just exaggerates them. And I think that it's done in such a nice way in the musical that it almost doesn't feel like they're being exaggerated, but it's just 
there's a distinction between each character with, that I really, really enjoy. So all that to say, I was very skeptical about the musical, but I honestly ended up really loving it. And I'm coming in having no prior knowledge of this musical. And I think that, again, like I said in my Mean Girls episode, movie adaptation or musical adaptations of movies work the best when the musical can stand alone from the movie because then there's not too much of a comparison and like I said with Mean Girls that musical really stands on its own so the musical is its own entity and so is the movie and so what that does is it brings in fans diehard fans of the movies to watch the musical and then it also brings in other people who maybe don't know so much about the movie but are just like curious as to see what the musical is they fall in love with the musical they go and tell their friends that the musical is great and that's how that's how it gets going because even if the diehard fans go in and they see that the musical is great and then they go and tell their friends about that and then you know it's just like a whole cycle but when the musical adaptations don't really work is when they try to be something they're not and they try to emulate the movies too much because diehard fans will go in and then they're disappointed because it's it's not up to par with the movie and then those musicals tend to flop i.e Carrie uh, is one of one of the examples of that but Beetlejuice what it did was that it took the structure of the movie from what I've read and it created so much original content within that structure. And honestly, I would say that the plots are honestly very, very different. From what I've read, the movie focuses really on Adam and Barbara's journey of trying to keep their house to themselves and not letting people take it over. Whereas the musical is very Lydia focused and it's all about her mother dies at the very beginning of the musical and it's all about her journey of trying to get her father to hear her and see her and what she does to try and get her father to stop neglecting her feelings about her mother passing away. Because it's like, Lydia hasn't moved on, but her father has, and he's trying to throw it all in the past. And I'll talk about that in depth a little bit more, but that's kind of the basis of the musical. And so we see Lydia team up with Beetlejuice a lot more in the musical than I think we do in the movie. Again, I haven't seen the movies. I've just read a bunch of synopsises and plots about the movie. And that's what I got from, those are like the two biggest differences I wanna say. Also, apparently Beetlejuice is barely in the movie. He comes in in like the middle of it and then he's not seen for very much. Whereas in the musical, he is literally, he's kind of like the MC, like like in a cabaret style of way, like he is the MC narrator of the show as well as a character within the show as well. The first song that he sings is the whole being dead thing. It really sets up like who he is as a character and also like what the show is gonna be about and that, you know, everyone dies and how you deal with that and how people move on. There's a bunch of themes seen within the show. You don't really go to a show like Beetlejuice to come out a changed person. But like, honestly, I would say that there's a lot of raw emotion and vulnerability that we see in the musical that you do not expect when you go in and see Beetlejuice the musical. Another thing I wanna talk about is the production value of the musical itself. I would say that this musical came up in an unfortunate Tony season. They were up against Hadestown and The Prom and Ain't Too Proud and something else that I, again, can't remember right at the moment. But I mean, Town was the winner of that Tony season. They won pretty much everything they were up against. 
or they were up for. And I feel like when I was watching the Tonys that that year and in my mind I was like this makes sense that that Hades Town is winning everything because there's there's not really up against much and my only other the only other show I had seen was The Prom at the moment and I would say that like those were the two musicals that were really dueling it out whereas I feel like Beetlejuice kind of fell under the the wire and I feel like it could have had potential to do really well had it been in a different season. It's kind of similar to like I would say Waitress and Hamilton. Waitress unfortunately fell within the Hamilton season where Waitress could have done really well in a different season I want to say that. And maybe there is a stigma around Beetlejuice. Maybe it was just like that because it's Beetlejuice it's not standing up to par but like it broke box office records and it did super well and I just don't think that people gave it enough of a chance, especially in the Tony season. But again, unfortunate that it was up against Hades Town, which is one of the best musicals that has come out since we've seen Hamilton come out. So an unfortunate Tony season, but I think that it probably maybe deserved a little bit more recognition than it actually got. Because the set design, oh my gosh, so amazing. Like from what they did with the whole house and how they transformed it from this perfect like house that Barbara and Adam inhibited to Beetlejuice's house by the second act and then when we go to the netherworld we see this super cool maze set design that they've created. Um, the set design is probably one of my favorite parts of the show. It is really well put together and I think it really characterizes the characters within themselves in their own way I guess because we see the house transform from perfect everyday middle-class suburban and white <laughs> to Beetlejuice's house with the stripes and everything like that. And then when we go to the netherworld, we see a whole different atmosphere. And I think that they're really clever in the way that they set that up and everything. The costumes are also phenomenal. I will say with the exception of two dresses and they are both dresses that Lydia wears. It is the yellow dress and the red dress that she wears at the wedding. I personally think that they are not cute, but Maybe, I again, I haven't seen the movie, so maybe that's what, it's very similar to what she wears in the movie, but I will say that those two dresses were not cute, especially up against her very goth haircut and makeup situation and everything, but everything else, I feel like the, the costumes really, you know, fit the characters. There was a little bit of a, a different interpretation of the character Beetlejuice that I think worked really well for the musical version of Beetlejuice. And uh, yeah, I just think that like, as far as production value on this show, I feel like they did a really, really good job of setting up the atmosphere and the environment and making each character distinct because as distinct as the characters are in the musical, it's important to like set them apart from each other in more ways than just like the characterization of themselves. Talking about that, I wanna talk about the score a little bit. I already know I've talked about the soundtrack, but I think that the score is very, very clever in also characterizing the characters. Like I said, Lydia's songs are much more like punk rock and like there's a lot of raspiness and a lot of, a lot of angst in those songs, especially Dead Mom. Whereas Beetlejuice's songs are kind of like a poppy with a little bit of show tune vibe in it, but very, very sarcastic, very, a lot of dark humor. I think his songs are more about the lyrics that he's singing more so than the actual orchestrations of the songs themselves. 
Friday Their Lives is one of my favorite songs in the whole show as as well as the whole being dead thing just because I think that the humor that's in those songs I don't think I usually like identify with dark humor or that's the type of humor I like but I just thought it was so so funny and then again with Adam and Barbara we see they are very like show toony and um very uppity and more of a a pop style of songs until we see their transformation in the end with like Barbara 2.0 and they get a little bit more of a rock vibe and a little more hardcore because the characters change. And then another song that really characterizes Delia as this like crystal loving energy, witchy, I don't know, whatever character she is, is no reason. And I think that that sets up her character really well. I think the score does a really good job. I love, and I've talked about this before, but I love when scores are able to distinguish the characters from one another. And like I've seen, we've seen that in Mean Girls where we see Katie's songs are very jungly and versus Regina's songs are very like, I'm a boss ass bitch right now. And I'm gonna, I am the top Mean Girl and my songs are very serious and like sinister. And, you know, we see that, in this score as well, where each character has a certain vibe. And even if the vibe changes a little bit, we still see the underlying characterization of each character in each song. I don't know if that made any sense. I'm really just babbling at this point because I just, I could talk about this musical for days. I mean, literally, I'm telling you, I think that it's, it actually is a very underappreciated. And I think that's a big thing of when Music Man actually announced that it would be taking over the Winter Garden. I think that's the reason there was so much controversy about that because in my mind, before I heard heard anything about Beetlejuice, I've, I'm thinking, I'm sitting here thinking, oh, well, Beetlejuice probably isn't doing very well in the box offices. Again, it's just like a tourist trap musical to bring in the Taurus and Music Man is like this big revival with these big stars and like that's probably why like they're taking over but in reality like Beetlejuice in was a great musical and was doing really really well in the box offices and probably shouldn't have been kicked out of the Winter Garden or at least if they were again like I said in the last episode it's all a money game and it's all about the corruptness of the producers and and everything like that but When it comes down to it, I think that Beetlejuice should have had more of a chance and an opportunity to stay or at least find a, a a different theater because I think that it was doing really well. And it is a really fun musical. And it's also, it is a movie adaptation, but it's also very original. And I think that that's something we're not seeing on Broadway a lot anymore is we're not really seeing a lot of original content. We're seeing a lot of jukebox musicals. And we are seeing a lot of movie adaptations, but like movie adaptations that are literally the movie in a sense. And I don't know, I just feel like there could have been more of an opportunity for Beetlejuice to have thrived for longer on Broadway than it did. It's very, very sad that it closed. And it's very, very unfortunate that the pandemic took away a big chunk of the time that it had left. So that is very, very unfortunate. Um, But it's going to thrive. It'll thrive in national tours it'll thrive in regional theaters and summer stocks as long as they have like as long as you have a core cast that is really able to step into these roles this musical will thrive and that's the next thing I want to talk about I think the casting for this show was honestly perfect I mean if you want someone who's going to be kooky and crazy and do crazy things with his voice Alex Brightman is always the way to go he's so good he's such a great character actor 
that he really can just step into any role he plays and exceed expectations, I think. The first thing I saw him was when he played Dewey Finn in School of Rock, and he really, really just took on that role. Like, I believe that I was watching Jack Black um, <laughs> up on stage, even though it was Alex. He did such a great job. He does this thing with his voice where he sings that it's, and it sounds like it's so unhealthy but it's so healthy in the way that he does it and he's able to keep it up and do it eight times a week and I don't know who he works with or his vocal coach and how they taught him to do that but I think that that's so cool that he's able to manipulate his voice there was an article about it somewhere where like it's a it's like a different like he has to hop into like a different type of falsetto I think I don't really know but I just think that it's so cool that he's able to ma manipulate his voice in a healthy way and sustain that for eight shows a week. And also just like fully throw himself into the characters that he plays. I think he was an excellent casting choice for this. And honestly, I couldn't think of anyone else who would be better, a better first option. And, and then the next one is Sofia and Caruso. I know there was a little bit of controversy and drama with her leaving the show and like what actually went on under... The surface area of that but like when it comes down to it she was a really really good pick for the original Lydia and I think it's because she really stepped into this gothic I love death type of personality she she really emulated that really well on stage I will say that when I first watched it I was a little confused because I wasn't sure what was going on with her acting choices at the very beginning with when she was interacting with Delia and her father and then as I realized later on, it's that she was playing, she's putting on this like phase of like, I'm goth and I'm emo because no one understands who I really am. But then later on, we see her talking about her mother to Adam and Barbara, and we see the way that she's interacting with those two. And we really see her, a different side of her. And I, so I understood her acting choices as I got further into the show. But at the beginning, I was a little like, is this how she's going to play Lydia the whole time? I will say that one one thing that I wish, just from watching the bootleg, I wish I had seen more of a transformation in Sophia's interpretation of Lydia. Because when we got to home at the very end, which very last Lydia solo, it's the big like 11 o'clock ballad that she sings. I wanted to see her break down and be a little bit more emotional and vulnerable in that moment. But the way she sang it, it kind of felt very similar to Dead Mom at the beginning of the show. And I just wish that there was a little bit more because the character herself goes through this giant transformation throughout the whole show. I just wish that there was a little bit more of um, an, an acting shift from Dead Mom to Home because they felt very similar. And also in the similar way that Alex Brightman is able to warp his voice, Sophia warped her voice as well. And again, I'm not the one up there doing it eight shows a week, so good for her. I just don't know that like the way in which she did it, it didn't sound healthy, but I'm sure she's working with a, a vocal coach as well, or she was working with a vocal coach who was telling her like how to manipulate her voice to do these certain types of things. So I'm sure it was healthy, the fact that she was able to get through it eight times a week, but I don't know, just some of those like some of those notes and some of that rasp, I literally wrote it down in my notes. I was like, is she okay? Like, is, is her voice gonna be okay? And also I was so curious. I was like, is this the way she actually sings or did she put on this voice for this character specifically? I, I was just like, because it's such a weird, it's almost like she has like an accent and that she like stunts like certain words and like just the way she sings, I was so interested. 
but um, apparently she doesn't sing like that because I went and watched a different video of her singing. I think I listened to her sing Life on Mars. And I would say that like, it's it, it definitely sounds like she warped her voice in the same way that Alex Brightman did a little bit to fit the character a little bit more. Overall, I think she was a good first pick. Again, I don't know, I don't want to go into the details and I don't really know the true and stories of like the controversy of why she left the show so abruptly. I will say that I thought Presley Ryan was a great replacement for her. I think she did really well and she had such a different interpretation of Lydia, which I really found refreshing. I think both of the, the girls did a really good job playing this role. Another character I want to talk about is Barbara, and that's played by the one and only Carrie Butler. She is great. This is such a great role for Carrie. She's because she's like that innocent character actress. Like she's not like I wouldn't say she's full like ingenue, but she's got she's like a little bit ingenue slash charactery vibe to her. She's quirky. And I think that she plays this role really well. And then the last one I want to talk about is Leslie Kritzer, who I think kills the role of Delia. I will say here and now Delia is probably my dream role for this show in specific. I feel like that is the type of roles. Delia slash Miss Argentina. I feel like that's the type of role. That's the track I'll probably be on um, a little bit, especially when I'm older. But I think that she does such a great job. Just some of the things that Delia says and Leslie Kritzer hits every single one of her comedic beats. I'm telling you, I wrote down like some of my favorite lines in the show and a lot of them come from Delia. One of them being, I can't say success without sucks and then yes, sucks yes. And I don't even know what the actual line is, but like that just had me on the floor. And then her song as well, No Reason. We actually see like a deeper side of Delia. And I do want to talk about this song a little bit. Sorry, I feel like I'm jumping from bit to bit, but I just have so much to talk about this musical. So I'm done with characters now, and I want to talk about songs and themes a little bit. Not that there are a lot of themes within Beetlejuice the musical. I want to talk about it a little bit. And the first one I want to talk about is the whole sense of like not living in the present and kind of ignoring your issues and hoping that they'll go away and how when you ignore trauma, it actually creates different types of monsters. In this case, it creates an actual monster where Beetlejuice comes and like tries to kill people. But we see that with Delia in her song where she's she's talking about at the very end, she breaks down and she's like, my husband left me to be with another guy. And then he, he just left and now I live at home with a cat and my life's an, a whole traumatic issue. But we're just gonna ignore that because crystals and good energies and, and life coaching, nailing it, like, you know, and we, we see how she never really dealt with that and how that kind of affects her. And we also see that within Lydia's dad where she, he is not dealing with the loss of his wife. He's pushing it away and he's pushing it all onto Lydia kind of. And we see that Lydia is kind of trying to take on the grief for both of them. And we see how that affects her a lot throughout the story and how she feels invisible because she feels like she's the only one who is trying to remember her mother and and keep her memory alive. And it makes her into this like really angsty, always in mourning, like person obsessed with death type of girl. And eventually she tries to, you know, jump off the roof, which we see Beetlejuice stop her from doing later on in the show. But it, it just gets to a point to where like, there's so much you have to deal with life in the moment. You can't just push it aside or all of these other things are gonna be coming up and, 
worse things are going to happen. And I know that Beetlejuice is not that deep, but that is a, an underlying theme within the musical, especially the musical. Like I said this about past musical adaptations is that there's not always an underlying theme in the movie, but when it transfers to a musical, there has to be because it's almost like the, a musical doesn't work without like a deeper message and without like a, a form of vulnerability just because like of the eccentricness of what musicals are and what people go to see when they go to see musicals. There's always got to be an underlying message and something to walk out of it with. And I feel like they do that in the sense of they created the plot line with her mother being dead and how that affects her as a person and how she goes on this journey and then eventually gets her father to finally say her mother's name and all of those things. So I feel like that's the biggest underlying message in the show is that you have to live in the moment rather than like kind of protesting it and pushing it away or otherwise you're just going to create more demons for yourself. Beetlejuice being the demon in this <laughs> moment I would say another theme is like a misfit just trying to fit in and trying to find your way as someone who is different than everyone else um, we definitely see that with Lydia's storyline and um, how Adam and Barbara kind of take her in as her own and we see them going on this whole journey from being afraid to commit to having a child and and not wanting to screw it up and not wanting to take the next step in their journey to where they they die eventually and then they take in Lydia and we see their parental figures come out and then we see the transformation with them as well again it's another musical about transformation and the events in your life that lead up to like becoming a new person I feel like that's the basis of every musical really it's all about starting somewhere and then ending another place and I think that that is you're going to see that with every single musical and I would say that those are the two biggest themes in the musical overall so last week I talked about fantasy flaws and I thought that I wanted to do that this week and my fantasy flaws for the music man were flaws that like you don't question because it's a musical but if you put it in realistic terms things that wouldn't necessarily make sense or work out in the ways that they do because it's in a musical in real life but with this musical there really aren't any fantasy flaws because it is so mystical and it is a fantasy in and of itself like the music man is a show that takes occurrence within the realm of real life whereas beetlejuice is very fantastical it is um it I, it doesn't really deal with a lot of real life situations so and honestly there weren't many plot flaws I didn't feel like I think that the plot got maybe a little bit messier in the second act just because it, it started to to go off the rails and become something completely different. But I don't think that there were a lot of flaws with the plot itself. It all felt very like chronological. It felt like everything made sense in the way that it happened. And I really can't come up with any fantasy flaws because Beetlejuice is just not real life. Whereas like something like The Music Man emulates real life a little bit more. Um, I feel like I've talked so much about this and I still have so much more I want to say. I just want to talk about my favorite songs and then the songs that I skip really quick and then we'll go ahead and get into my favorite character, the dream cast, the least favorite character, the rating, and we'll, we'll move on from this. But my favorite songs, my favorite song in the whole musical is Home. And I think it's because I love a ballad and it's a ballad that doesn't feel forced because it is the 11 o'clock number of the show in reality. And a lot of 11 o'clock numbers can feel forced and it can feel like 
it doesn't come out of like raw emotion. And I kind of talked about that in Mean Girls where like the 11 o'clock number is world burn, but it kind of just feels like it's the 11 o'clock number because she belts a high E at the end of the song for a really long time. And that's where the emotion comes from. Whereas with Home, the emotion comes from Lydia's vulnerability and it's kind of a burst of emotion that I think she's been holding in the entire show and she finally lets it out. And yes, there are high notes, but they feel valid and they don't feel pushed and they don't feel forced. It feels like these are the sounds that would be coming out of Lydia at this moment. And I don't know. I just think that it's it's a really well-crafted ballad and it's a song that I... This Home and Dead Mom are definitely songs that I will belt in my bedroom at any time of the day if I am feeling any type of way. I will just like sit here and sing Dead Mom if I need to feel something in my life. I don't know why. Natalie from Next to Normals, her songs don't do it for me. And I feel like that's like the people where people mostly go for like their angsty side. But like, I feel like Dead Mom and Home are the songs that like just make me feel something. (laughs) I don't know why. Anyway, so I really, really love both of those songs, but Home is definitely a standout. And I think that, I think that in my opinion, Home is a little bit better crafted than Dead Mom. And also it's just a song, I feel like everyone's so up in arms over Dead Mom that they kind of forget about Home. But I personally think that Home is um, the better song. Um, My second favorite song in the whole show is Say My Name. That song is, I just think it's really clever in the way that they do it. And um, it kind of shows that Lydia's smarter than she lets on to be and how Beetlejuice just kind of expects things to come his way. And then when Lydia is kind of like hard on him, um, he doesn't really know how to react. And I don't know, it's another song that I love to just belt in my room. I think it's really well written. Uh, The lyrics are really nice. And uh, I think it, it shows Lydia going through like this journey of like trying to figure out how to deal with the situation and maybe not doing it in such in such a good way. Most of these songs are my favorite songs because I can literally jam to them at any time of the day. Another, I'm just gonna go through the other songs that make it on my list. Um, the whole being dead thing, Friday Their Lives, so well written. The lyrics are so clever. It's the dark humor in them. It's just so, it's so well written. It just like makes you laugh out loud. Another notable song, Barbara 2.0 and No Reason. Those are the other songs that I would say make it on my favorite songs list. The only songs that I skip are The Invisible Reprise because it's short and it, I don't know, it just doesn't do it for me. Um, And then the other songs are like, I feel like the songs that are originally from the movie, which is Deo and Jump in the Line. But even Jump in the Line, the way that they end it, because that's the ending of the show, when they kind of like bring in, it's kind of jump in the line slash home reprise, I guess. Even that is a bop at times, but I don't really ever vibe with Deo. And I think it's just because like, it's not an original song and they kind of had to stick it in the musical just to like put it in there because of the, the movie. But I don't know, it's just the one song that I just don't get down with. And all of the other songs, if I didn't mention them on my favorites list, it's not because I don't like them, it's just because like my favorites list could not be the whole album. And the songs that I mentioned are the songs that I will jam to literally anytime. I will never skip them if they come on Spotify. I will listen to them every single time. I think they're so clever. The lyricist and composer, I think it's just one person, Um, of this musical is so clever, so funny, does such a great job. 
And um, I think that's overall, I think that that's why the musical works. And overall, I think that the, the soundtrack and the orchestration in cahoots with the individualized characterization of each character and and they mean throw on the set design like it's a well-rounded musical that stands up really well and up to par with some of the other great musicals out there sure it's a movie adaptation and sure you can have a stigma on it and whatever whatever stigma you want to throw onto it but at the end of the day like give it a chance and if you don't like it you don't like it everyone has their own opinion that's what's great about art and that's what's what's great about you know being able to subjectively talk about these types of things but at least give it a chance you know and um I think that if you do in my opinion I like I said I did not think I would like this musical but I come I came out of it really really enjoying it so that is my overall review of Beetlejuice the musical um let me know if you agree or if you disagree with me again like you're never gonna sit me you're never gonna find me sitting here talking really bad about a musical whether the musical is a great musical or whether if it's like subpar maybe except for spongebob which i probably will never talk about spongebob the musical on this podcast because i just don't think that i can vibe with it and now let's talk about my favorite character my least favorite character my tony award-winning moment my rating and my dream cast all right so my favorite character is delia one because i feel like that's the role i would play in this musical and two because she literally makes me laugh out loud like just some of the things like some of the her lines that she says are just so funny and i i just vibe with that like weird like sexy weird leading lady types of roles and i don't know i just think that she's so funny um my least favorite character honestly i had to pick at straws for this one because all of the characters are really really good in their own way none of them really like made me upset so I said I don't even know what her name is but it's the lady with all the plastic surgery she's Maxie's like fourth or fifth wife whichever one she is and I only picked her because she doesn't really do a lot and um she came on stage and just I, I wasn't a fan she's also very funny in like the two minutes that she is on stage unfortunately she is my least favorite character my Tony award winning moment and I didn't even talk about this in the in, as a part of the musical at all. But I think that Girl Scout is so freaking funny. And I think that uh, the character who plays her does such a good job at playing that role. And so my Tony Award winning moment is when she's like in the house and she's and then Beetlejuice comes up and scares her and she like screams at the top of her lungs. And I'm like, so afraid, like I'm listening to the album and I'm so afraid for her life. I'm like, did she like die like from a heart attack? Cause like she has heart issues and she just got so scared. Like, so there's a lot of dark humor in this. And I would say that that's one of them, like scaring a little girl with a heart condition. That's horrible underage marriages to and the whole creepy old guy thing and they they literally say I can't believe some cultures think this type of thing's all right which same I don't mean either and then they do talk about suicide for like a little bit so it's a musical that like you definitely have to like go in it's not really for the weak-hearted like you have to understand what you're going into with this musical you have to understand that they're going to make a lot of crude jokes about some like things that are a little bit controversial but at the end of the day, like, that's the style of the character and of the show. And um, 
they're not trying to, I don't think they're trying to like do anything with that. It's just like, that's typically like, that's just what it is. Just go into it knowing that that's what you're going to get from it. Anyway, so again, my Tony Award winning moment is the whole Girl Scout song. And then also just like her being afraid or her getting scared at the end of the song and me listening to this album on my walk the first time I listened to it and being afraid that she died in that moment. Um, anyway, um, I'm going to give this... 9 out of 10 sandworms because I fully think that if there is a musical out there that makes me like not be able to go to sleep because I can't get the songs out of my head if they're that catchy and also you throw on the set design and the costumes and the cast there's just like there's no flaws and like I really like I'm not sitting here like I'm not going to give it 10 out of 10 because blah 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 but like I I just feel like it's not a 10 out of 10 musical, but I, I will say it is a 9 out of 10 musical in my opinion. And I think because of all of those things that I mentioned beforehand, that just makes it great. And now let's move on to one of my favorite parts of the podcast. It's the dream cast for this. And um, I feel like I've got, a, I've got a, a pretty good lineup going on here. So for Beetlejuice, I have two options. I actually have three options. So my first one is Alan Cumming. And I chose him because Beetlejuice gives me very much MC vibes and Alan Cumming did amazing phenomenal job at playing the MC in Cabaret and I feel like he could really step in he's really good he's another one who's really good at stepping into roles like this where they have to be a little bit crazy and villainous and um, I think he'd do a really good job and then I also say James Monroe Iglehart but I just think that the eccentricness and the flamboyant side of Beetlejuice he would really be able to emulate as well and I also think that he could probably step into the sinister, like dark humor um, side of him as well. So I'd really like to see his interpretation of it. And now for my own, uh, this is for, this is for myself and for no one else. But Beetlejuice is a role that I would love to gender bend. And personally, I think it might be my most wanted gender bent role. Like I would love to play Beetlejuice, just personally. So I have cast a couple females as Beetlejuice as well. And my first one is Patina Miller because she is so good at playing these like creepy roles. I haven't, I don't feel like I've really ever seen her play something creepy and I guess leading player a little bit. It could have some like leading player vibes to it. I feel like she'd have to be a little bit more eccentric to be in this role, but come on, it's Patina Miller. Like she could totally take that on. And I also would really like to see Amber Gray's interpretation of it as well. I don't know why, I can't explain, but I think that she would also. If she were given this role to play, she would play it very, very well. Moving on to Lydia. So I don't really know that many young actresses that are like big in the business right now. But what I did say was I said Lauren Patton, who is playing Joe in Jagged Little Pill right now. And I think that like she just like would fulfill the whole angsty teenager side of it. And she also has that very uh, punk rock style of voice that would fit really, really well with Lydia. And so that's why I gave her that role. For Barbara, I said none other than Miss Carol Lindsay because of course, like quirky, like innocent leading lady style, like she would just, she would kill the role and um, it'd be great. For Adam, I said Drew Gelling because Adam and Dr. Pometer have the same vibe to me. So why not? For Delia, I said either Renee Elise Goldberg or Laura Bell Bundy. And this is me knowing that whoever plays Delia also has to play Miss Argentina. And I think that they would 
both of those ladies would play both of those roles just so well. And I would love to see it. And then for Dab, I, I don't, is his name Charles, I think? Maybe his name is Charles, but the Lydia's father. I said Norm Lewis only because I feel like Norm Lewis has father vibes. And why not? <laughs> so that's my dream cast. And that's the musical, guys. Gosh, I was, I've been waiting for so long to talk about Beetlejuice. I don't know why I haven't talked about it beforehand. But like literally since I listened to the album, I was like, I need to talk to someone about this. I hope I did it justice. I hope I maybe changed your opinion or gave you a new outlook on the musical overall. And uh, yeah, that's what, I mean, that's the whole point of this podcast. It's like maybe just like hearing a different opinion other than what you originally thought. Or if you share opinions and you can be like, yes, girl, I agree with you. That too. I don't know. I just like talking about musicals. I like, I found that I really like deep diving into them and understanding, you know, the characters and the plot and you know, the soundtrack a little bit more. And it's just like, it just makes me very happy to get to share my thoughts with you guys on this musical, even if it's just like me rambling for an hour to an hour and a half, which is what I tend to do anyway. But um, I was so excited to talk about this musical this week. And um, yeah, so that's Beetle, that's Beetlejuice the musical. And with that, we're going to move on to the game of the podcast this week. We are playing Cast It Again. And this time I have it a little bit more structured in the sense that I have names in my little hat and I'm gonna pull them out, but I'm only gonna give myself 45 seconds and I'm gonna see how many I can do in 45 seconds. Okay, so I have my timer and I'll just explain the game for those of you who didn't listen to the other episode in which I played this game. So basically I have a bunch of just Broadway actors' names in this hat I'm gonna pull them out and I'm gonna try and cast them in a role that I would feel like would really fit them. But also now that I'm under a time constraint, I'm also gonna have to just do the role that first pops into my head and I'm just gonna have to roll with it, I guess. Um, so I'm gonna give myself 45 seconds. And then, so like, for example, if I pulled out Sutton Foster's name, I would probably cast Sutton Foster as Nellie in South Pacific. That would be where my brain would first go. And then I, I just keep doing that. So that's what I'm gonna do. And uh, I've got the clock. I'm kind of nervous. You guys know how I um, handle things under pressure. So uh, here we go. All right, three, two, one. Okay, we have Jessie Mueller. Gosh, she's played all the roles that I wanted to play. Okay, time constraint. Um, Donna in Mamma Mia, why not? Patina Miller. Oh, um, Velma in Chicago. Okay. Oh, Aaron Tveit. Uh, Drew in Rock of Ages. Laura Benanti. Um, Marion in The Music Man, that's a cop-out answer because I used that last time. Um, who's next? Alex Brightman, um, uh, da, Shrek, Shrek. Ava Noblezada, Le Eponine in Les Mis, Haley Kilgore, Eve in Children of Eden, Kara Lindsay, Belle, easy. Cynthia Revo, uh, Elphaba, Elphaba. All right, let me see how many I got. I feel like I did pretty well, right? I feel like, I mean, I don't even remember what names, I'd have to look through the names that I said and what I, if I can even remember what I said for them, but I feel like, I feel like I did pretty all right. Okay, so I have Jesse Mueller, Patina, Aaron, Laura, Alex, Ava, Haley, Kara, and Cynthia. That's nine, so almost 10. I think I wanted to get to 10, but that's okay. I feel like I did a pretty good job, but I, I, I one of the things that I love doing is I love casting people in, in certain things, and so, this was just a fun little game that's, it's super quick. It doesn't take a lot of time, but uh, yeah, it's just fun for me to be able to like step into my casting director side of things. Cause I obviously as a performer do not do that very often. 
So that's the game. And now we're ending the episode with my favorite part of the podcast. This is the advice column where I give you a little piece of advice that I maybe learned during the four years of getting my BFA, things that I wish I had known, things that I just feel like would really help not only those of you who are performers or are wanting to um, go to college for musical theater or even just like I try to keep it general so that it applies to all areas of life as well. And it's my favorite part of the podcast because I think one of my favorite things as I've discovered is being able to help those who are wanting to do what I've done or who are are excited about theater and, and want to be performers. I love helping them along the way and, and trying to act as some type of mentor and just like giving them telling them anything that I wish I had known or or things that I, I know now that um, have really helped me along the way. So the advice for this week is don't let fear get in the way of following your dreams or living the life that you want to live. I was actually having a conversation with a co-worker of mine the other day um, that actually sparked this piece of advice because we were talking about how I'm right. I'm like the biggest scaredy cat. I said that earlier in the podcast. I will not go skydiving. I am afraid to like swim in the ocean because of like sharks and stuff like that. And she was, she, she actually gave me this piece of advice, um, or a semblance of it. And she was like, I just feel like sometimes we can't let fear like control and dictate our lives. And I was thinking about that. And that's, it's so true in a sense of like, you know, like, things that could like actually like harm you and like not being afraid of that. But also just like in general, like one of the scariest things I ever did was decide to make a career out of musical theater because it's so, it's such an unknown thing and it's so subjective and it's it's like day to day, like you never know, like you could get work one day and then you, like that work doesn't last forever and then you could it could be months or years before you book something else there's just so much that's unknown about this career path and it is scary but if i let that fear dictate how i chose to go about wanting to be a performer i wouldn't have done it and then i think i would be stuck in a job that i don't like like working with a salary job in an office or or doing something that like didn't make me happy and for those of you who do work those types of jobs and they do make you happy that's that's your dream and that's what you love to do and I applaud that and I think that everyone should do what makes them happy and whether that be working at the front desk of a law office or being a lawyer or being an accountant or pursuing musical theater and pursuing your dreams whatever your dream may be any type of fear that's in the back of your mind, just try to like keep it, just try to kick it out because it's not worth it. And it just, it just brings you down and it stops you from being able to pursue your dreams and live the life that you want to live. And I think that fear is just not worth it. It's not, it's not worth it because you never know what could happen. You could fall on your ass, excuse my language, embarrass yourself in front of everyone, but get back up and try again. And it's the, the, the failure that makes you stronger and you can't be afraid of it. And you can't be afraid to just, you know, go balls to the wall and like really do what you want to do. And uh, so that's my piece of advice is just don't let fear get in the way of living the life that you always wanted to live or that you've planned to live. 
because if that's the only thing that's holding you back, it's so not worth it. That's the podcast for this week. Thank you guys so much for listening and joining me every week. If you want to find me personally, you can find me on Instagram at underscore Kelsey McFall underscore. I'm also on TikTok at KelseyMC137. I love you guys. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you next week. Bye. Mwah.